welcome back to Trek Untold for this very special mini-sode of Trek Untold. We've got our first returning guest ever on the podcast, and that would be one of our most popular episodes, actually. That would be Licia Naff. Licia, how are you? Oh my goodness, most popular. I've never been popular before. I'm good, <laughs> thank you. Well, yeah, it's good to have you back. I mean, yeah, just just so folks who uh, are not familiar with the show or might be new to the show, uh, we interviewed Licia way back in like episode 20 or 20, some, somewhere in the 20s. And, uh, you know, we had an amazing chat. You were so amazing. You were so like honest and open and candid about everything. And people loved it. And they loved hearing your stories. They loved hearing your journey. Uh, and I got a lot of folks also who just said they were so inspired hearing what you went through and, and kind of just hearing that and having oh, yeah. similar things going on in their life. They felt very inspired by it. So, uh, you know, it was an amazing chat. And yeah, again, I want to thank you so much for giving me all that time in the first place. Sure. Matthew, of course, for you, anything. Oh, you, Licia. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, we're here today because you are back in Star Trek. OMG. I know. I know. Lower decks. Yeah. They so animated were... me and made my nose more Caucasian, which is good. <laughs> uh, for Ensign Sonia Gomez, I'm now a captain and I have my own ship called yeah, the that's Archimedes. Amazing. I know. You are back now at Lower Deck season two finale. First, first contact. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a few other things, too, that we didn't get to chat about last time. But let's just jump right on into the Trek talk here. So sure. you have not been in really in acting in a long, long time. You basically retired from that, as we mentioned in our first podcast interview. Uh, yes. So I guess the first thing is tell us the process about how they got you hooked back in again. Oh, God, it was easy. <laughs> they just threw a bunch of money at me. And I was like, hello. I live um, in Los Angeles near the beach and it's super expensive. So, you know, any little bits of money coming my way. I know that sounds so superficial, but I mean, part of being the multiverse, the Star Trek universe is just an honor. I'm hoping and praying that they'll write me back in for season three, but you know, you never know. Um, Yeah, they just made a call and said, do you want to? And I've always loved voiceover stuff. You know, when you go in and it's so fun, it's a completely different style of acting. So uh, right around this time last year, the pandemic was roaring. Um, they asked me if I could come in and I had to have all the protocol. The, um, ADR, the sound studio was empty except for the engineer who opened the door and he had, he was double masked and I was masked and I was, you know, put into one of those rooms where you loop and you have your microphone and everything. And about four or five TVs, giant TVs with all of the producers and the writers looking at me this way, zooming in. So we did it via zoom. And they gave me direction and I had a script. And then after I did everything, then they animated my character. So I wasn't sure if I was animated prior, but I wasn't. They do the voice first and then they animate you. And it takes a full year. I didn't know. Each episode takes like a year. A year later, we aired last week. It was great. It was so fun. Yeah, it was really cool. Very exciting seeing you back again because Sonia Gomez is a fan favorite. And I don't know if you've seen like the reaction on social media for seeing Captain Sonia Gomez has been enormous. Great. Oh, that's so good. Good, 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 good. See, I was actually wondering, you know, uh, since this was during the pandemic that you did this, if you had to go into the office to do this or if you're doing this at home, but it's cool to know that you actually were there in, in the place doing it in front of the producers. Yes. Uh, well, in front of the producers who were at virtual home producers. in their underwear, you know, zooming in. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. That's how we all do interviews these days, isn't it? Know, right. Still, I know a year and a half later. Yeah. So obviously you've done ADR for other things you've worked on, but have you ever done specifically animated voiceover work before? Never. And boy, it just, it makes you kind of want to put a reel together and get an agent and go out and do the Simpsons. And just, it's so fun because you get to overact. You have to overact. They want you to, ah, he, 
well, Paul, you know, to make it read. And it is an animated series. So it's it's a little over the top. You wouldn't kind of have those voices if you were doing a dramatic episode of any of the Star Treks. You know, they always tried to play it real in the in the live action versions. But animated, you, you get to go over the top. And they, they kept saying, do it more, more, more. And I'm like, wah, ee, ha. And they're like, great, more, wah. <laughs> it was just a blast. It was really fun. Yeah, I hear that a lot with voiceover actors where they have to kind of really do that. They have to really kind of go vaudeville, if you will. You got to really go big. Vaudeville, uh, and if you're not right. protecting your if you're not protecting your voice also, that could be a problem as you're going on. I mean, since you hadn't done this kind of stuff in a long time, how, how did your voice hold up? Yeah, from years of doing theater, I've always been able to project. In fact, that's probably a downfall because I'm always, hello, you know, I'm always projecting. So that wasn't any kind of problem. But it was funny. Some of the feedback among my friends is like, your voice has changed since you know, what, 25 years ago when I was out, let's see, I was about 26, 26 or 27, somewhere 25, 26, 27. When I did Star Trek, the next generation, it was season two finale. Again, it was a double episode arc. And then, yeah, just about 30 years. Yeah. Like 30 years later. And I was like, my voice changed. They go, yeah, it was much more husky and sultry and sexy back then. I'm like, what am I now? It was like old, basically. No, they're not old, but, and they were saying, why is it, was your voice so kind of husky and sultry back then? And I thought I was in the middle of doing a play then, and we were doing eight shows a week for both of those episodes. I had a long running um, play where I was um, one of, I guess I was kind of the star. And uh, so I was used to really projecting and your voice does get a little bit raspy. Um, so it added something back then that I guess I don't have now. I just had the fresh, just screaming at children and animals and neighbors and boyfriends and husbands and everything else. <laughs> so, you know, it doesn't tax my voice quite as much as doing a play. So you were very well practiced at yelling. That's good to know. Yes, yes, yes. And I know how to project from the diaphragm to yell. Yes. Which is a very important thing to note for folks out there who do want to do voiceover work, especially you got to know how to, how to project your voice the right way and not blow out your, your voice box. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you just mentioned you were doing this recording in a whole big room, whatever, but I want to know about the script process because, you know, the Star Trek process, I'm sure, you know, it was secretive in the 80s and 90s, but today it's like I've heard much, much, much more secretive. Okay. So talk so me about that. What happened, like an armored truck rolled up to my house and two armed police officers hand me the script and I have to raise my right hand and put my left hand on the Bible. I mean, not really, but basically it's... I mean, I thought you weren't lying right there. So that sounds like a pretty <laughs> accurate story. Acting. Um, yeah. It was ridiculous. So uh, I, I first they just sent me what's called the sides. I'm sure your you know fan base knows what the sides are, which is just the scenes that I'm in. And then uh, once I approved and signed a you know signed my life away in contracts that I wouldn't tell anything and say anything or ruin anything, they sent me the script. And they also had copies of the script when I went into the uh, the sound studio. So I, I knew my, you know, scene sort of by heart and I knew where uh, the season was going to end. And basically I just had to be sworn to silence. I mean, you know, or they follow my kids to school. You know? I mean, honestly, none of this sounds again like a lie. That sounds pretty accurate to what I've heard from folks on the new shows. So, yeah, I'm not going to question it beyond that. Well, uh, let's try not to get anybody assassinated today. Yeah. Um, but let's let's talk about the episode itself now. I mean, uh, what was it like reading those lines uh, and just having to do the techno babble again? I imagine you, you didn't miss the techno babble. Yeah, well, you know what was it different? Um, the the episode that aired last week on Lower Decks, I'm 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 reading the star date in and they had me do that several times. 
And then when the episode hit, they had, I think, Captain Freeman reading the the Stardate in and saying all the mumble jumble and then introducing me. And it was at first I was like, oh, my God, they took my few precious lines away. And then I realized it was to introduce there's never in the script an introduction of who I am. And they do that in that Stardate. So there was a reason for, you know, robbing me of my five techno lines. Um, Nacelles. I had to say the word nacelles. It's like, is it nacelles? It's, you know, there was a few of them that I had to look up and learn how to say. And then I asked ahead of time before we, you know, rolled on ADR, the looping, the voiceover stuff, how to say them properly. And I practiced it a couple of times because you have to act like you say those kinds of lines all the time. It's like, would you like French toast and coffee and eggs? Would you like some cream with your coffee? It has to be that kind of natural. And I had forgotten how to do that, but it was fun too. It was a fun challenge. I, I would love to do it full time, but, you know, I had my own ship that, you know, floated away, but who knows? You never know. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we'll see you back. And uh, I know that you just watched the episode very recently also, because you just found out it came out. And um, yeah. So had you actually seen what your character looked like yet? Was this your first time watching it when you saw the episode? Yes, it was my first time. They wouldn't, they don't leak anything, even to their own actors who've signed non-disclosures with, you know, threat of death. They just don't trust anybody. And that's because they wanted to, they wanted to tweet it out and have the Twitterverse go nuts. And so they, they want to be able to control that, which I understand, you know, the fan base is rabid for any little bits of information. So uh, yeah, I didn't get to see anything, um, but I, I didn't mind. I, I was, um, you know, pleased with the way I looked, I guess. I mean, they, you know, they made me animated. My eyes were bigger. My boobs were bigger. My hips were even a little bigger. I was like, no, you could have actually, you could have made the hips smaller. That, But, you know, anyway, it was fun to see myself. Not bad at all. It was weird, though. Um, I felt like the sound of my voice, which you don't really hear. I mean, you don't go back and listen to the sound of your voice. The sound of my voice having been professionally done didn't to me seem to exactly match the animation. I mean, it was synced up, but it was like that voice would come out of that character. I still sound like I'm about 18 and she had to sound you know, more authoritative. It seems to me if I were to go back, I would lower my voice and have a little bit more command. I would be a little bit more authoritative and, you know, kind of pretend I was a Picard, you know, female version of Picard or something. But here I am squeaking away. And running my ship, I sounded exactly like I was about to spill hot chocolate over somebody. I I felt like I didn't grow vocally at all. <laughs> you know? I'd beg to differ. And it was pretty fun that they did get a little uh, coffee spill joke in there as well. That was pretty nice. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, hopefully we have not seen the last of Captain Sonia Gomez. And I'm sure it's really cool again having your own ship now, too. It must be really exciting to have your own ship. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we do get to see a lot more of you. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of anything else to even ask you about, but I, I imagine there's probably not much we could even talk about if there is future stuff. So it's probably hush hush, isn't it? I don't know. They haven't told me. The thing is, if uh, I probably know by now if I was coming back because they would start, they would be, well, that's not true. I might have like a month and a half. I might get a surprise call. That's true. Um, and the upside is they've already basically done the hard work of creating the character. All they got to do is just pop you in now. So you can hello, come in probably whatever you want. No, please. I know from your from your podcast to God's ears. <laughs> well, I hope so. I mean, I feel like we, we were part of helping uh, get you on the show. That's that's my belief. Even though we weren't. I'm going to pretend I was. Cool. Do it. I don't yeah, mind. Why not? Yeah. So, you know, we talked about a lot of different things that you've done over your career in the last episode we did with you, which was, again, very encompassing. And I recommend for folks who are new to Trek Untold, go back and check out that episode because it's really great. It's, one, it's still, honestly, one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done. 
Uh, it was just, it was such an amazing episode. And, you know, in terms of the Hollywood stories, we talked about Star Trek. We talked about your time in Total Recall as the three-boobed lady, which is amazing. Uh, we talked about so many really great things you did, but there's a few things we missed because I don't want to take up your entire day last time. So uh, if you don't mind, let's just, I want to ask you a few Hollywood stories here right now. And I want to start with uh, a really fun one, uh, Hunter. I don't know if you remember your time on Hunter. You did a two-parter on that show where you played the Snow Queen. And that's why I had to ask you about this because, like, I found some footage of that. And that's, that is something else. And not only that, you know, aside from you getting to play this fun Snow Queen character, you're also acting with Dennis Franz and Dennis Farana. And I, I want to hear about those guys. It was the pilot of Hunter. So, and it was so it was a two-hour episode. And it was called The Snow Queen. And I was the Snow Queen. I was, um, you know, back then Coke was in, I guess. Yeah, it was about 1984, 85, when cocaine was all the rage before crack had kind of, you know, hit. And I was a, a drug dealer. And um, it was Dennis Farina and Dennis Franz, both of them. It was their very first acting job. Both of them. I couldn't believe it. I was like the veteran. So I was kind of, um, it was fun to work with them. They were very authentic. They were very them. They're very real. And the directors of those episodes kind of let them do their thing if they forgot lines or if they needed to improv. So they got a, they were cut a big break because it was their it was probably getting their sad cards. I was amazed. I was really amazed. So it was fun working with them. Yeah. Um, there are a few stories working with um, the lead. Um, he was what was his name? Fred Dreyer. Fred Dreyer, famous NFL football player. Uh, the first day we met, he was really, really sweet, extremely tall and rather, I guess quarterbacks aren't supposed to be bulky because he was, he was trim and tall and very, very impressive and super sweet. He was a macrobiotic and he had a special chef. And I was like, how could he be a pro athlete and eat absolutely no meat, but macrobiotics, you can, you know, if you mix a bean and a, and a grain together, that equals a whole protein. And so he was telling me all about macrobiotics and he had his own chef on the set and everything. And he even gave me some of his food. And literally I became a macrobiotic from meeting him and I learned how to cook it and I took classes. I've never been so healthy. It reverted back to macaroni and cheese and pizza and everything, but it was really nice to have that experience with him. Um, the other thing I remember very, very clearly was uh, I, I get, thrown into a pool during a fight scene and it was the in the second episode it was towards the end thank goodness and we were shooting in a mansion in Las Feliz in the middle of December and I'm in hookery you know blow clothes which is you know not well dressed let's just put it that way and I had to be thrown in and out of the pool a bunch of times and I had to sit there shaking and, you know, if you've ever if anyone who knows anything about TV and all, all of your fan base, I'm sure knows you shoot something over and over and over again from different angles and close ups and far away and all the other cast members. And I ended up getting pneumonia because I was soaking wet in the middle of December. The pool was not heated. When you see me shaking, I'm really that wasn't method work. Um, I was freezing and I ended up getting pneumonia. So oh, that was a little rough. Would you say that you were dressed more conservatively in this or in Chopper Chicks from Zombie Town? It was all around the same era where, you know, sluttiness was in, um, I guess. And I think we, we touched on this before. Ethnic was not in in the 80s. Um, I'm ethnic. So I was relegated to, you know, prostitutes, drug addicts, runaways, maids, 
the Italian girl next door, um, anything that wasn't the white lead, which was a drag because I loved acting. I was really hoping to move up in my career, but um, ethnic wasn't in. It really wasn't until Jennifer Lopez and even Madonna kind of broke broke it a little bit for you know hip hop and for multi races to be able to hold larger characters. But I was always told constantly, we're looking for someone all-American, all-American, all-American. You never even hear that term anymore. But that's what I was competing against. So, yeah, I mean, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town, I played, um, what was it? I was a, a motorcycle chick on a bike. And I learned how to ride from that um, film. Um, and I still ride. I went riding this weekend. That's why my hair is all screwed up. So, um <laughs> Um, I still ride a motorcycle. I'm the only one from the gang who still rides, except for the casting director. So, but but let me, I'll go back to the Snow Queen. So um, it was the era where Coke was done a lot on the sets. It was, I don't say, I'm not saying it was done openly. Like you're not on the set, but if you're in the bathroom or during a break in your dressing room. And so um, I was, during that time, I was playing someone who was on coke and to be quite honest I, there was a little bit in my system as well we won't um, tell anybody it's fine <laughs> i think the statute of limitations has ended on that one yeah i mean it was 30 years ago so it was a long time ago but um and then one one um one night um i think it was probably a sunday night i was at a party where they they were doing tequila shots and um, so, again, this is like the mid 80s and I was young. Everybody was kind of partying. And I thought, oh, that worm is supposed to give you hallucinogenic. So I asked if I could swallow the worm. And I did. Oh, God, I swallowed the worm. I couldn't get to sleep that night. Um, my call was 5 a.m. Um, so I think I got to sleep maybe at three, maybe. And so that whole next day, I don't know if I was hungover or if it was the worm but I was in a little bit of a, and, you know, I was told over and over again, you're such a good actor. You're such a good actor. You're really playing the part of someone on drugs. And I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's just, I studied hard and, you know, but I actually was a little bit stoned. So that was, those were the days, you, you know, you don't get away with those things anymore at all these days. The, the entire culture has changed, you know, it's really, really, really different. You have to, um, well, you have to do drug tests um, and you have to get a physical and that's all before they'll even let you step on a set. So everything is very, very conservative and cleaned up. I mean, even a hint of uh, any kind of addiction, it's just not tolerated. And back in the 80s, oh my gosh. And all before then, it was completely tolerated, if not encouraged. Mm. As long as it didn't slow down production, you could do whatever you want. So. Oh, remember, kids, winners don't do drugs. Uh, and Trek Untold, legal disclaimer here, we do not support or condone the use of illegal drugs and substances. Hold on a second. Hey, hey. <laughs> you can kidding. see that, young lady. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. And I feel I bad think... now because, you know, we're, we're talking about some of the uh, earlier roles that you had where you were playing those terrible hooker roles. And guess what I'm going to ask you about next? Uh, you playing Dixie the Hooker from Lethal Weapon. We didn't talk about that last time. I don't think we did. I think I think we touched on it a little bit briefly, but we didn't really get to go too in depth on it, I feel like. No, so. It was literally like the 20th hooker I played. So yeah. I got really good at playing hookers. I nailed every audition. And I don't know why. I mean, it's not like 
method actors. It's not like I went around. Well, using nail might not be the best uh, choice of words in discussing playing a hooker role. Right. So anyway, she opens up, I guess, the first um, in the series of movies, The Lethal Weapon. Um, My friend, who's also a prostitute, uh, I give her drugs and she jumps. And apparently um, I might be responsible for her death. And I'm interviewed by Denny Clover. And uh, the next morning, and I'm still in my hooker garb and high heels. And when I kind of stumble like that, I actually did stumble. Um, you know, the famous line from that is all dressed up and nowhere, no one to blow. All dressed up and no one to blow. He says that, actually. So it was fun to do that. It was just a day's work. Um, but another kind of mini infamous character. I think you see me later in the movie in a body bag. But that wasn't me. <laughs> I got to meet Mel Gibson in the audition process, funny enough. And he's, he's short. He's short like Tom Cruise is short. Were you auditioning with him or was he just there watching? He was just there watching for some reason. It was just me, the casting director. And he happened to be in the hallway and he was welcomed in. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to, you know, interview in front of Mel Gibson. And I was young and he was really cute, but I was told he's married and he doesn't fool around. I was like, shit darn it. And he had, he had the cutest, tightest buns. It was when men wore jeans that were really, really tight and slightly bell-bottomed still. I don't know. Very tacky now. But uh, that was that was nice. He was very, very friendly, very, very professional. And I was like, oh, drat. He's so cute. He was very, very cute. So that's all I have to say about Lethal Weapon, really. <laughs> well, just general question. I mean, you talk about being in the room doing the audition with Mel Gibson. But uh, were there any other auditions you ever did that were like very intimidating to you because there was one of the big stars in there or a big director in there with you? Yes. Um, when I first started out, I was a dancer on the series fame. I, um, it gave me my SAG card. I got to act in the pilot and I was a regular dancer on the series. And once in a while, they'd give me talking lines and stuff. But in the first season, um, I auditioned for Flashdance. And I met those, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer and, and Don, what's his name? Don Simpson, big, big, big directors who did all of those films. And Adrian Lyne, who was a huge producer, a huge director at that time. Um, so I got to meet him and he was British and he was a little intimidating. Um, and so that was really fun. They followed me uh, to the set. They got permission to watch me rehearse in, at MGM um, for fame. And I think they, to be really frank, they were shadowing me so much. And they invited me to a bunch of parties that they were studying me for the script. I don't know if I was ever really meant to get the role um, that eventually ended up going to Jennifer Beals. Um, But the way I dressed, the way I took clothes off without, you know, taking my bra off, without taking my shirt off and the way I acted and moved and, you know, my whole mannerisms and stuff, a lot of my behavior and even the way I talked showed up in the movie and dialogue and in behavior and stuff like that. But I did get to screen test for it. Um, I didn't do well. I was, I was very, very young. I kind of, I felt a little over my head, but the toughest part is I'm with a lead actor, the, the love interest and we're talking and they gave me dry saltine crackers to pretend it was lobster. So I remember eating these crackers and my mouth is dry and I've got crackers in my mouth and I'm trying to talk and say these lines. And I, I kept judging myself the whole time. I was like, stupid asshole, you're fucking up. So I didn't do very well in the screen test. But uh, 
it did give me a taste of the big time, I suppose. <laughs> and it tasted very salty and dry. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Well, again, for folks, if you want to hear more about Alicia's Hollywood stories, like I said, check out our first episode we did with Alicia, where we talked a lot more about fame. We talked about Total Recall. We talked about uh, Clan of the Cave Bear. We talked about a lot of stuff besides just Star Trek, and it's a lot of fun. So do check that out. Um, but yeah, you know, these days, you know, I know you're working right now with your charity, Drive by Do Gooders, and we talked about that last time and some of the challenges you were starting to face now in the middle of the pandemic. So uh, I'd love to just kind of uh, tell our new listeners what Drive by Do Gooders is all about and uh, what has happened since we talked to you basically about a year ago. Well, things have been actually going well. Um, so um, I have a, an SUV and I've got a couple of high school students and we all jump in the car on Sundays um, and we give out bottled water, body wipes, cheese, you know, cold string cheese, socks, feminine products, toilet paper, you know, anything that are basic human essentials to some of the elderly and disabled poor that live on the outskirts, on the streets, basically in Skid Row. And we serve about 150 people a week. And, you know, we do this every single week. I've been doing it since 2013. So um, the pandemic, we never stopped. We still, you know, went out with masks. In fact, we give masks out. You know, we start early Sunday morning making bags of goodies, making these baby wipes that we infuse with rubbing alcohol. And we put them in little zip bags as little baths in a bag. Because believe it or not, there's 12,000 people that live in 20 square blocks in Skid Row. And a lot of them are elderly. And a lot of them are disabled. And a lot of them are the same people from 2013 that society and the government and everybody have just given up on. And there are no water fountains. There's very, very, very few bathrooms. Unfortunately, they have to use buckets as bathrooms. So we provide a lot of hygiene, a lot of water. Um, our little, one of our catchphrases is hydration and hygiene to the heart of the homeless. And we hand out from my car window like an ice cream truck. We can't, that's why we're called drive-by do-gooders. We don't stop. We drive by the outskirts, up and down the streets, you know, yelling water, string trees, cleaning wipes, socks, masks, blah, blah, blah. And we all have a good time and they all know us. And uh, we take a lot of video and post it on Instagram every week uh, at, you know, drive-by do-gooders or me, my personal Facebook page, Lisey Knapp, or drive-by do-gooders page. We're on we're on all the media and we, we just have a really good time. They know us. They don't mind talking to us on camera, which is really nice because we don't want to um, exploit anybody. Um, and we really don't recommend anybody going down there and videotaping because these are, you know, they have family and they have some pride. I mean, just because they're poor, you know, doesn't mean they're bad people. And it's kind of been good. I mean, it's we, we, we make enough money to go out every week. Um, and you know, we really haven't expanded too much, but that's okay. You know, it's kind of a local hands-on grassroots kind of thing where, you know, I bring kids in the car where they get to really, um, experience hand-to-hand -hand giving. And it's a real dopamine hit, you know, it's a real instant reward of helping and feeling how good that feels to help, you know, and it breaks the stigma of, oh my God, homeless, poor people, let's, you know, pretend they don't exist, look the other way, or why don't they get a job, or all those things. It really isn't like that. They're somebody's uncle, somebody's grandparent, somebody's father, brother, mother, sister. You know, my brother used to be homeless for years and years and years. He's not anymore. Um, you know, he's got seven years of sobriety and has a great full-time job and is doing very well. But for decades, he was a meth head. So everyone, homelessness and drug addiction and alcoholism touch everybody's family. And so we're kind of trying to break that 
that wall of exclusion, like us and them, really just based on economics and addiction. You know, there are people just like us. So, you know, we really enjoy doing that every week. It's it's very rewarding. It sounds like it. And it is very important to, as you said, break that stigma, uh, because, you know, especially right now during the pandemic, especially like it, the, this is a community, a section of people that are really being ignored wholly uh, by a lot of local governments as well. They're not really getting the masks and the protection that they need to keep themselves safe, keep themselves hygienic during this very, very dangerous time right now that we live in. So, uh, you know, like how, how, how much has the pandemic affected what you guys are doing and how has it changed the community as a whole? Well, it was really interesting. So we we basically go down to Skid Row, but we don't kind of go to the clusterfuck, the middle, where there's it's super crowded. We go to the outskirts where it's harder for some of the elderly and disabled folks to get services. And we noticed about two, three, four months into the pandemic that, I don't know why it took so long, that, that the government realized the pandemic isn't going to end too soon. And they actually put in some portable potties, some bathrooms, and some uh, sanitation stations where you could wash your hands with soap and and paper towels. And I was like, why for the decades have they never had that there before? I mean, it's then towards the end of the pandemic, when we thought it was going to end back in January, they took them all out again, I guess, because Los Angeles doesn't want to service them and it's expensive. And that's something that the homeless folk really complained to us about is like we had, you know, washing stations and then they took them out. And I was like, what the fudge? There's one bank of bathrooms that look similar to bathrooms um, at a beach um, that, it, uh, you know, located at one park. And that's it for 12,000 people. And the line is around the block to use them. And that's all they've got. I mean, it's really kind of shitty. So, you know, we've we just we can't solve the homeless problem, unfortunately, not even close. So we're just more like triage. We're just temporary help. You know, we go out there and we give as much sanitation and drinking water as we can and smiles and hope. And, you know, we try to have fun. And that's just just about all we can do. To me, it's kind of honestly, Matthew, it's like recycling or paying taxes. You know, we don't feel great about ourselves that we're doing something. It's just something super necessary that I kind of need to do, you know to just make things a little bit more balanced. I mean, I'm such a consumer. I live in a first world environment. You know, I've got hot water, I've got heat, air conditioning, um, blankets, a roof over my head. And then if I go literally 7.5 miles east, it's third world conditions. It's as bad as any photos you're ever gonna see from Ethiopia or from Afghanistan. And it's right around the corner, right here in downtown LA. And every city in, Los, in in the States probably has something similar. I mean, we've got a bigger problem because the weather is so great, you know. So Los Angeles is kind of the home of the homeless because if you're going to be poor or if you're going to be addicted and it doesn't look like you've got a future, you know, and you can't really pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, you take a bus and become homeless here. So I'm not advocating for, for the homeless. I try to stay out of the politics. But... I don't necessarily serve Venice Beach and Santa Monica because that's the fresh meat. These are people who could maybe clean up and get a job if they weren't addicted. And they're more white, 18 to 35, 40 male addict types. Um, but Skid Row, it's, it's, it's black, it's Mexican. There's a little bit of Asian, a little bit of white. And they are almost exclusively over 50. I mean, and 60 and 70. And it's like, 
wow, they've got really tough immune systems. Nobody's gotten COVID. You know, there's, you have to be rather strong to live on the streets for all those years. And we've kind of seen the same folks year after year after year. And they've made peace with it. They know how to get by. You know, we hope they're on lists for housing. Some of them are, and it takes time. Once in a while, we'll get a great success story. They'll say, hey, you're not going to see me anymore. You know, I, I, my number came up. I'm going to get an apartment. And we're like, yay. So sometimes there's good news. It's tough work what you're doing, but I think it's really important work. And really why I wanted to talk about it today, especially on the show, is, you know, we got a lot of Trekkies out there listening who might not know about what you're doing. And, you know, really Star Trek is about togetherness. It's about community. And, you know, what, what you're doing with these folks out there, these homeless people who are just, you know, having tough times or have had tough times for many, many years. Uh, I feel like what you're doing really reminds me that they're humans and also reminds you that you are human, that you're part of the same community of humankind. Right. Uh, and I think that's, that's really important. And that's also why I want folks out there who are listening today to really take action. Uh, you know, like I donated after our show as well. And uh, for folks who, wanna, you know, who are interested in doing that, by the way, it is tax deductible if that matters to you. Yeah. And um, you know uh, what? $4 goes a long way, honestly. I mean, it really does. We're not asking for millions. We're... We're just, we also have no overhead, by the way. So it's not like I'm getting my nails done or getting my roots dyed with drive-by money. Every penny we get goes directly to those who need it the most right away. I mean, we, you know, we get the money and we buy supplies. We get the money and we buy supplies. So, you know, donations go directly. Unlike, you know, some other charities where there's a lot of overhead, they've got fancy stationery and they've got office staff and they've got big mailing lists. It's like, Nah, it's just basically my friends and fans who throw us a little bit of change every month and off we go doing good, driving by and doing good. So to all my listeners out there, all the people that are watching this on YouTube as well, you know, please try to take action if you're able to, uh, you know, even just supporting them on social media is helpful, following them, spreading the word about Drive by Do-Gooders. But if you are in a position to make any kind of donation, please feel free to do that. Uh, it's definitely a worthy cause. And, you know, like I said, you can see it. Like Lisa said, you can see exactly where the money goes every weekend. You'll see them on Facebook, on YouTube, on uh, on Twitter, wherever they are, on, on social Instagram, media, you'll see them yeah. in action. Yeah, go to drivebydogooders.org, and there's lots of video up there. And it's all recent. We're switching out the videos all the time. And it's the homeless actually advocating for us. We're like, why do these wipes mean something? Or we'll do a whole video on socks, or a whole video on cold string cheese, or a whole vi- lots of videos on drinking water. So it's it's great. We it's completely impromptu. We say, would you mind, you know, before I throw up my camera and videotape them, I go, do you mind if, um, would you say a few words to our donors who give us money for the string cheese? And they'll go, yeah, sure. You know, it really does help. It's kind of like emergency protein, and we just feel so grateful that they're willing to talk to us to help us raise money. And thanks for the shout out, Matthew. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. So one more time, folks, that's drivebydogooders.org. That's a .org website. Uh, and if you're in a position to donate, please do so. You're going to be directly helping folks who really need it. And uh, that's very important work that you're doing, Licia. So I'm hoping that all my Trekkies out there, all my fellow Trekkies can help lend a hand in some way. Oh, my God, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the other thing I'll do is if you uh, donate 35 bucks, I'll send you a signed um, autographed picture. Oh, even better. So in that case, and tell them Trek Untold sent you when you do the donation. How about that? Make it easy. Yeah. Awesome. Please. That'd be great. And I know you don't really do a lot of conventions, so it's actually a pretty big deal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I I kind of haven't done the conventions because I do have a lot of obligations um, and I'm kind of uh, alone doing them. Let's just put it that way. 
But I mean, if creation wanted me next year, you know, we haven't done anything for the last couple of years and I didn't miss um, the 40th anniversary of the next generation. But if they want me, I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll do the convention next year if they want me to in Vegas. So we'll see. But in the meantime, if you want a guaranteed autographed picture of Alicia, she just told you a way to do it, folks. And we didn't discuss that beforehand. So thank you for even offering to do Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Really cool yeah. I mean, I'll sign a Total Recall picture or a Star Trek picture, you know, um, or a Chopper Chicks and Zombie Town picture. Which is pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Anything you want. Well, thank you, Lisa. We, we appreciate that. And as always, we appreciate you giving us time to chat with us again today, doing our sequel, because, I mean, how, how rare does this happen, you know, that, that someone who did Star Trek TNG all the way back then gets to come back and revive the same characters. That's that's an amazing achievement. I know. I know. It was great. It was really cool. And with a smaller nose and bigger boobs. I mean, they, <laughs> they upgraded me. <laughs> Living the dream, right? <laughs> Living the dream as a captain of my own ship. So again, Lisa, thank you very much, folks. Check out drivebydogooders.org. And uh, like I said, don't miss out on this opportunity to not only help some people, but you can get a really awesome autograph picture, too, from someone who doesn't really do these cons that much. So take Lisa up in that offer. I'm going to be doing that right now, in fact, once we finish recording this. So, Alicia, again, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And I hope we get to see you again in Lower Deck Season 3, 4, 5. Let's, let's see. Maybe we'll do it again. Bye. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Woohoo! Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.